Amen and amen. Awe. Standing in awe of God. I hope that over the past few weeks, as we have looked at various passages of Scripture, that you have walked away in awe of who God is and what God has done. So we stand in awe of this God, the one true living God, and there is no other. Amen? We stand in awe of Him. Well, there's another event in the Scripture that we want to look at today. There's this little small event called the Red Sea. You ever heard of that one? We're going to look at that today. We're going to see that the Israelites, who had been in bondage to the Egyptians, they were They were led by God and brought to this Red Sea. Now, God does something amazing at that moment at the Red Sea. But we need to understand that that's not all that took place, even though this is a marvelous, majestic, and miraculous event that takes place when the Red Sea parts and the children of Israel walk through. There are other things that took place prior to and after that we need to look at as well. There's so much more to see. The Israelites, you understand, had been in bondage for hundreds of years, and these Israelites only knew what it was like to be in Egypt. But since these are God's chosen people, these people that He is calling out, He needed them to know who He is. And at this point in their lives, They had heard from Moses and had seen the hand of God and the plagues and at the Passover. But the truth was that they still had too much Egypt in them at this point. And I have to God leads them now, and as He leads them to this place in their lives, in this event, they're going to learn who this God is. And I think we need to learn it too. So let's open up your Bibles, if you have them, to Exodus 14, looking at the story of the Red Sea. It's quite a few verses, but we're going to read the whole chapter. And so if you're able, in honor and reverence to the Word of God, I'd ask you to stand as I read this passage for you this morning. The Bible says, Exodus 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Pihiroth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal Zephon. You should camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. And then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, he took his people with him, and he took 600 choice chariots and and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. And so the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses, 
horses and the chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea, besides Pihahiroth, but before Baal Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and so they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. They will follow them. For so I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. And then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one and it gave light by night to the other so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them and the midst, into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And that came to pass that in the morning watch, the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. And so the Lord overthrew the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. And then the waters returned, covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. And so the Lord saved Israel that day. Out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. And so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. And Lord, we stand in awe of who you are. We stand in awe of what you know. We stand in awe, Father, of what you're able to do. And God, we pray that you'd use this message this morning to speak to our hearts. Lord, give us what we need to hear this morning. 
Allow me to be your servant with the passion, O God, that you have called us to, to understand in this word that is your word. And so, Father, I pray that you would guide us and direct us to understand more of who you are. And we pray, Lord, that you would challenge us. If there are those here today who don't know Jesus, may this be that moment, that hour of salvation where they give their hearts to you. And for those of us who have trusted you already as Savior, we pray, Father, that this be a time of refreshing in our hearts, a renewing of our spirit. Lord, as we remember again today of who you are, the great God that you are. And, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us in powerful ways. But, Lord, now may the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, you see the outline uh, today in your bulletin, and we're going to go through there. And we see the first thing here is that the children of Israel are learning who this God is. And we need to be reminded who this God is as well. And the first thing that we want to see about the children of Israel and who God is, and what they learned about who God is, is that first off, he is the God who is faithful. He is the God who is faithful. Now, Moses certainly knew that God is faithful. He had learned that. He'd, he'd seen that at the burning bush and through the all the different things that uh, God led him to do before Egypt and before Pharaoh. But now the Israelites had a taste of it as well. But they needed to know more about this God. They needed to know about this God who is the one true living God. And they needed to learn that this God, this God that we serve today, this God of the Bible is faithful. And what we see about this God who is faithful is that he is faithful to guide that's the first subpoint. He is faithful to guide. Now, as the children of Israel left Egypt after the Passover and the plague of the death of the firstborn, we find that God miraculously guided his children. Let's look back in Exodus again, just one chapter back from 14 and chapter 13, the two, two or three verses leading into verse chapter 14. So starting at chapter 13, verse 21, it tells us here, verse 21, chapter 13, Exodus, that the Lord went before them, the children of Israel, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Then we come to verse four, chapter one, verse fourteen, says uh, chapter chapter fourteen, verse one. Yeah, there you go. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pihiroth between Migdal and the sea opposite Baal Zaphon. You shall camp before it by the sea." The Lord is giving them direction. He is this pillar of fire by night, a pillar of cloud by day. He has given them guidance. He's given them direction about which way to go. And it's interesting that God is taking them on this specific route in which they're going. Because as he was leading them to the promised land of Canaan, the most direct route, the shortest route, would have taken them only two weeks. But that is not the way in which God took them. He took them a different route. As a matter of fact, he has taken them the long way around. And as a matter of fact, he even tells them in verse 2, he tells them to turn and camp. He's telling them to backtrack. So as we look at this, and as they were looking at that, and as the Egyptians are watching this, it seemed like the Israelites didn't know what they were doing. It looked like that they were following the wrong map, or even that they had the map upside down. 
Why in the world did God do something like this to take them the long way around and so that the and even have them turn back and they're actually hemmed in at the Red Sea? We find in verse three. It says that Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel. Pharaoh will hear of this and say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land, meaning they are perplexed by the land. They are confused. They are turned around by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. You see, friends, it looked that way to the, to the Egyptians, but God knew exactly what he was doing. This is not a mistake in what God is doing. God didn't get mixed up and say, oh, oh, I should have taken them a different way so they need to turn around. No, that's not what God was doing. God knew exactly what he was doing. It looked like God had brought them to the end of the road. But what he was doing was he was bringing them to the end of themselves. Y'all with me? It looked like they were coming to the end of the road, but he was bringing them to the end of themselves. You see, they were at a place that they would not understand initially, but that they would understand eventually. Friends, have you ever been there where you've ever wondered, God, why have you brought me here? God, why have you brought me to this place in my life? God, why have you brought this to me or me to this? Well, friends, maybe it's because he's teaching you to come to the end of yourself and to depend totally on him. That's what he was doing here. You see, God's presence had led them through. He had led them through as a pillar of cloud was the direction of the way God wanted them to move. Wherever that pillar moved, they moved. Have you ever thought about that, man? Wouldn't that be great if God did that for us? When we're looking for that mate, our husband or our wife, okay, God, I need to have a spouse. And so the pillar rises and and goes over that college campus, and lo and behold, there is that spouse. Boy, wouldn't that be great? Or maybe it would be when we're looking for which school to go to. God, I need you to show us which school. It rises up, and then you get in the car, and you, you follow that cloud till it comes to that school, whatever it is. If it's, a, if it's a college, I'm sure it would be Liberty University. Amen. That'd be the one. Maybe it's the house. God, I just need to know which house you want me to buy, what neighborhood you want me to be in. Wouldn't it be great if we'd say, okay, God, just show me. And then he led us by that pillar of cloud or pillar by fire. Or maybe it's the job, looking for that company that we need to work for. Wouldn't it be great if we had that, to have that direction as we had that pillar of cloud and pillar of fire? And then even if we didn't understand exactly, okay, well, okay, that's a good house, but I'm not sure about that. But, but you're here, the pillar's there, that's the place, or, or that's the job you want me to have. I'm not sure about this company, but okay, I trust you. Even if we don't understand why he brought us to those places, at least we would know that this God had been faithful to guide us along the journey and to bring us to that point. Friends, listen, as you know, we don't have that pillar of cloud Or the pillar of fire. We don't have a pillar of fire. But friends we do have the fire of the Holy Spirit. We do have the fire of the Holy Spirit. Who lives within us. All the time as believers. Amen. As a matter of fact Jesus said in John 14, 17. That the Spirit dwells with you. And will be in you. In chapter 16 and verse Chapter 16 of John and verse 13, it says, When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. 
We have this Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God who is within us, and He is with us to guide us 24-7. This God, our God, listen, friends, is faithful to guide us. But He is also not only faithful to guide us, but He is faithful to guard us. He is faithful to guard. Now, as the Egyptians heard of where the Israelites were, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and that he turned against the people, and they set out in a massive military endeavor to pursue and bring those children of Israel back to Egypt, we find that God, who had made a promise that he would bring the Israelites to the promised land, and the God who had a plan, he guarded them from their enemy. This cloud that had been guiding them now becomes their guard. Just notice that in verse 19 and verse 20. It tells verse 19 and 20 that the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus, it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Man, how awesome is that? Amen. The God who had guided is now the God who is guarding. These Egyptians were right behind the Israelites, ready to attack. They had been trapped at the sea, and there was nowhere to go, but God, who was their guide, is also their guard. Because he had made a promise, and he was going to see it through. He would finish it. The Lord kept the enemy in the dark, but he kept his children in the light. God was keeping his promise. He was fulfilling his plan, and it was guarding his people to fulfill his perfect will. Friends, understand, we need to understand as we look at this passage of Scripture that this God of the Scripture, this God who performed this miraculous task, is the very same God that we serve today. He is the one true living God who guides us and gives us direction by the power of his Holy Spirit. But he is also the one who guards us as we follow his will, as we are being obedient to him. He guards us. He surrounds us. As a matter of fact, it tells us that he, that he guards us as we obey his guidance and his will. In Psalm 125, verse 2, there's a sweet passage there that says that as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth. And forevermore. As the, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's an, a great thing to know about our God, that he's faithful to guard us. Amen? Faithful to guard us, just as the mountains surround Jerusalem, he surrounds us. And why is that? It's because we're his people. Just as they were his people, he surrounded them now and forever. The children of Israel were learning that this God The one true living God is faithful, faithful to guide and faithful to guard, and that he would not fail because he is God. What an awesome God we serve. Amen. What an awesome God that we have who is faithful to us to guide and to guard. And they found that out. They needed to learn that about this God. As they would go into the wilderness, they would need to know that this God is faithful. But secondly, we find this. Not only is he the God who is faithful, but he is the God who expects faith. He's the God who expects faith. And so the children of Israel, as we've already mentioned, they are hemmed in now by by the desert, by the wilderness, by the Red Sea. 
And as they're hemmed in, they see the Egyptians are heading their way. They're coming. Now, can you imagine being in this multitude, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Egyptians who are now there at the Red Sea? And as they're looking back, those people who had oppressed them and kept them in bondage for so many years, they are coming. And they're coming, not just, you know, lollygagging along. They're coming with their horses and their chariots. Amen. They are coming after them. And they see them coming. And we find in verse 6 and verse 8 these words. It tells us that he made ready, the Pharaoh made ready his chariot, took his people with him, and he took 600 choice chariots, the best of the best. And all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. So the children of Israel, they are defenseless. How do you think they're reacting? Well, let's look at verse 10, and we see how they react. When Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and so they were very afraid. They're panicking. They're terrified. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then they said to Moses, so they cry out to the Lord, and then they say to Moses, Because there are no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Moses, why have you dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt? They said, we told you so, Moses. Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. They cry out to God, but then they turn on Moses. But what Moses tells them next is that God expects faith from them. This is a God who expects faith. He says in verse 13 and 14, these words, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still. You see, friends, this is the God who expects faith. This is the next subpoint of standing still. He expects faith standing still. He says, do not be afraid. Moses says, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. For the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. This God, the God of the scriptures, the God who's about to perform this miraculous work is the same God today, who God, the God who expects faith standing still. These children of Israel are called out now, even though it does not look good for them, even though it seems like it's a time of panic for them, Moses says, God is expecting you to stand still. As a matter of fact, he says to them, do not be afraid. Now, you would think that that would be a word of comfort, but in reality, in the Hebrew, that is not a word of comfort, but rather it is a, a word of rebuke that Moses is saying to the children of Israel. What he is saying to them where it says, do not be afraid, he is saying, cut it out. Cut it out. Don't be afraid. Because they had no right to be afraid because there was no reason to fear. He is saying, there's no reason for you to be afraid. Cut it out. Just stand still and see what God will do. Wow. Amen? Wow. Now, if you put yourself in the place of the Israelites, 
you sort of understand what they're coming, what they're feeling right now, right? You sort of understand that and get that same feeling. Because let me tell you, it is hard to do this. It is a hard place to be where we're not afraid, but we're going to stand still and see what God's going to do. Our backs are up against the wall. There's the Red Sea. There seems like there's no, no hope for us whatsoever. And those people who are out to get us, they are pursuing us. And they're pursuing us with their, their, the strongest, their best, the chariots, the horses. And they're coming full steam ahead at us. What would we want to do? But we would want to be like them. We'd want to run. We'd want to try to fix this somehow. We'd want to fight. But these people, the Israelites, they were to stand still and see what God would do. And friends, standing still demands faith. Amen? Demands faith. Remember, God was bringing them to the end of themselves. You see, they had too much Egypt in them. They needed to learn to trust this God who is faithful and who expects faith. They needed to be brought to the place where they were utterly empty, where they were barren, where they were defenseless, incapable of doing it themselves. And so God led them now to this place of utter helplessness to drive that sin of self-reliability and that sin of pride away from them. He needed to get the Egypt out of them. They may have been thinking now at this point, before they see the, the Egyptians coming toward them, they may have been thinking that they had the world by the tail. God, this, this amazing God had, had turned them loose. They had all this money where they had plundered the Egyptians. Remember, they had plundered the Egyptians before that. They had all this money, all this bounty. And now they're free. They've been in bondage for so long, but now they're feeling that freedom. And so maybe they were thinking they had the world by the tail. They had all this. But now they find that they have come to the end of themselves. And it is a crisis of belief for them. And they need to trust him completely and stand still and see what he will accomplish for them. Friends, have you ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. That place where you need to just stand still and see what God's going to do. Because in reality, you know in your heart that you just can't do anything but that you're at a place of complete dependence on him. And friends, where that may be a difficult place for us, that is exactly where God wants us to be. That place of absolute, complete dependence upon him. It truly is a difficult place. But friends, if you're right there, let me just give you this word of encouragement. You hang on, friend. You hang on because if he has brought you to this place, then you need to stand still and watch because he is going to do something that you will not forget. Amen? Stand still and watch and see what God will do. But also this same principle applies to each of us. You see, before Christ, we have too much of the world in us, too much of Egypt in us. And our enemy, Satan, is actually out to pursue, and he pursues us to destroy us. And so what we need to do before we come to know Christ is that we just need to stand still and see the salvation of God. Because salvation is not about what we do to become better people, but rather it is about what Christ has done on the cross to save us. 
And so here we see that God was about to save his people from the enemy, and all they were to do was to trust him. And friends, what happens when we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is that we, he brings us to the end of ourselves, and we trust him to save us, to rescue us, and to deliver us. This is the God of the Scriptures, the God that we know today, the God of the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, who, is, who expects faith of us. And he expects faith standing still. But not only does he expect faith standing still, but we see the second subpoint on there is that he also expects faith moving forward. Look at verse 15 and 16. Moses has just spoken to the children of Israel, told them to stand still, watch and see what God's going to do. The Lord's going to fight for you. You will hold your peace. And then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? As he's a representative of, of the children of Israel. He says, tell the children of Israel to go forward and lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. God says, You're at the edge of the Red Sea. Move forward. Children of Israel just kind of look around. What? Move forward? If we move forward, we're going to drown. We're going into the sea. He tells Moses to, to lift up the rod, stretch out your hand. He, Moses has learned about who this God is. He's not questioning at all here. You can imagine, however, the children of Israel probably are. Right? He tells them to move forward. Listen, friends, when God says move, you better move. Amen? Moving forward was truly a leap of faith. Now, we can't always, listen, when we move forward as God says to move, we cannot always see the steps that are in front of us. And we can't always know what is next, but we must move forward in faith. Now, there's a movie clip that I want to show you. It takes just a couple minutes, but I want to introduce it here. It's a scene from the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So I think this illustrates a good point of, of stepping out in faith. And so if you haven't seen the movie, well, I'm sorry because I'm going to really give away a key part of the plot. So you can either go la, 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 la if you want to. Uh, that's fine, too. But I want you to understand that near the end of the movie... Indiana Jones must must pass through several tests to reach the Holy Grail. And he knows that one will be a leap from the lion's mouth. And with his father close to death and the Grail the only hope to save him, Indiana Jones rushes through a doorway below a carved lion's head, and he finds himself standing right on the edge of this enormous canyon. On the opposite wall across the canyon is a doorway, but in between them is nothing but air. What can he do? Well, let's take a look. Only in the leap from the lion's head. Hurry! Come quickly! It's a leap of faith. 
you got to love that. That step of faith. Plus, you got to love the hat. Amen. <laughs> that was a test of faith. The only thing that made it possible for him to really believe was for him to take that first step. You know what? That first step's always the hardest, isn't it? Because we just don't know. But friends, when God says for us to move and we obey him in faith, he makes the way. Amen? He makes the way because he's already prepared the way. That's what the children of Israel did. They move forward in faith. It tells us in Hebrews, that great chapter on faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 29, it says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempted to do so were drowned. You see, friends, God expects faith standing still, and he expects faith moving forward. And you need to know something. He still expects us to move forward in faith. When God says to move, we need to move. As his children, we must be obedient, whatever it is that he's calling us to do. When we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the first step of obedience, which, which, which for many people is a real step of faith, is being baptized. Some people are afraid of just coming forward or, or stepping up or standing in, in a baptistry, but that is what God calls to. It's a first step of obedience, and it takes faith. When he says for us to move forward to serve him in some capacity, we need to move forward, trust in him. But God, I don't know how to do what. But he says go, then you go. If he move, when he says for us to move forward in our growth, to spend more time with him. But God, you know I've got so much time. I'm, I don't have enough time to do this. We need to move forward and grow, spending time with him. As he says to move forward out of a sin. If there's some sin in your life and he's dealing with you about it and calling you out of it, you need to step, take that first step and find that God has made the way. When he says to you to, to move and to speak to someone, to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus, sometimes it's the hardest part is just taking that first step. But take that first step. He says, when he says to, to move, to give of our lives, to give of our resources, to give of our time, to give our all, friends, he expects faith, and we must move when he says move. When we obey, we find that he makes the way. You know, as we think about people who are moving forward in faith, just look at where you are today, seated in this building, seated in this church. Some 50 years or more, back in 1965, there was a couple of churches that felt called of God to start a new work right here on this corner. A man by the name of Spain, I believe, felt like he had a vision for what we needed to do here. And a little mission was built. And then that mission turned into a church in 1968. And 49 years ago, 50 years next year, be 50 years celebrating, this church is here. And God has done some amazing things through the life of Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in its 49 years and soon to be 50 years. Because someone had a vision from God, and they stepped out in faith and moved forward. Friends, we should never be afraid to step out in faith and move forward when God calls us. We need to move in faith. Now, let me just give you a little commercial real quick, all right? Since next year is our 50-year anniversary, put September the 9th on your calendar. That weekend, that Sunday especially, we're going to have a big celebration here in Mount Pleasant, September the 9th. That's the plan. I'm not sure all that's going to take place, but here's one of the things that I want to challenge our folks, all of you and all of us at Mount Pleasant. 
right now, this building, we're still in debt. But it's less than a million dollars now. Wouldn't it be great if we could come through our 50th celebration and be debt-free? We could use that money for missions, do a whole lot for the kingdom work. Pray about that and ask what the Lord would have you to do as we plan for September the 9th of 2018 to celebrate the 50-year anniversary. But God has moved in mighty ways to be a church of faith. And so we must be people of faith. We see here as we look at the Red Sea, who is this God? Who is faithful? He is faithful to guide and to guard, but he's also expecting faith, standing still and moving forward. And then the third point we come to is that he is the God. The children of Israel learn that he is the God who is to be feared. He is the God who is to be feared. Not only the children of Israel, but the the Pharaoh and the Egyptians also learned this about God, that he is a God to be feared. The Israelites and the whole world needed to learn something more about this one true living God. Now, we know this, many of us here today know this passage of Scripture. We've heard this for years and years. My land, we've even seen the movie about it, amen? We've seen this. We know this. We've read this. We've heard this story in Bible school and Sunday school. We, we know this story. So why did God part the waters of the Red Sea? Why did he destroy the Egyptian army in the same seas? Why did God bring his people out of bondage in Egypt? Why did God do it this way instead of just taking them on a direct route to the Canaan land? Why? Well, the answer is this, that God does everything that he does, everything that he is doing right now, or everything that he will ever do for his glory. For his glory. He does everything for his own glory, the glory of God. And so the world and the Israelites needed to know this God, the God who deserves all the glory and who is all glorious. So God announces that he will glorify himself here in these events. Listen, as we fear him, as we revere him, as we stand in awe of him, that points to his glory. And so we see that he is the God who is to be feared, first off, in verdicts, in verdicts, like guilty or innocent, in verdicts. And here it's a verdict of judgment. In verse 4, notice what is said in verse 4. The Lord says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, the Israelites, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. The words there that I I will gain honor over Pharaoh means that I will gain glory. And that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. That's his reason. It's for his glory. And then if you move again to verse 17 and 18, we see again that God says the same thing. He says, I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor or gain glory over Pharaoh and all of his army, his Egyptians, his horsemen, that the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have, there it is again, gained honor, gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. He is saying, 
the Pharaoh, the Egyptians, the horsemen, the chariots, all these are nothing compared to me, God says. You see, in God's defeat of the Egyptians, he was judging them. He was showing to the Egyptians and to the world his supreme power over them. And he is triumphing over them. He has pronounced the Egyptians guilty and has brought about their sentence of death. This one who is the true living God is a God to be feared because he pronounces judgment and he executes that judgment. And friends, this God is to be feared. He led these Egyptians to a place where they would be defeated forever. And through that defeat... God is glorified. You see, friends, listen. This points to another event that takes place. The same thing took place at the cross. Satan saw the predicament that Jesus was in. It looked like Jesus' back was against the wall. It looked like that it was a dead end for him and that he was weakened, he was helpless, he was beaten, and he was crucified. And the enemy now thought, now's my chance. Let's finish this Jesus off. But what Satan thought was his own victory was the place of his own defeat. And so on the cross, Jesus took away sin's penalty, sin's power, and the ultimate presence for those who trust Jesus by faith. You see, friends, God became known throughout the world as his son Jesus went to the cross and rose again bodily from the grave, and he is made known for his glory. There is no one else who deserves the glory but God, because of what Jesus did for us and that he went to the cross and that he was resurrected from the dead for us. He is made known for his glory and he disarmed and he defeated the devil forever. Colossians 2.15 says, Jesus, having disarmed the principalities and the powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. You see, friends, this God... The God of the scriptures, the God that we worship here today, is the God who is to be feared in verdicts of judgment. But not only is he to be feared in verdicts of judgment, but he's also to be feared, second, in victory. In victory. Now, if you would just imagine the scene. Let's go back and look at it real quick. Let's start at verse 21. Just imagine being there. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And as he stretches out his hand over the sea, the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. Can't you just hear the wind blowing? Feeling it blow? It made that sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground. And the waters now, as they're walking on this dry ground, they were a wall to them on their right and a wall on their left. Well, the Egyptians pursued. They went after the Israelites into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through that pillar of fire and cloud. And he began to trouble the army of the Egyptians. It tells in the book of Psalms that that there was lightning and thunder going on as well during this time to confuse the Egyptians. And he took off the chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. 
And so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. And so the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. That's victory. And then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. And then we find a little further down, verse 30 and 31. Here's the summary. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. And so the people, well, the people feared the Lord. And they believed the Lord and his servant, Moses. The people saw the work, the great work, meaning his hand, his arm, his power, which the Lord had done in Egypt. And the people feared. They were frightened. The emotional reaction of distress, they, were fe- they feared the Lord and they believed the Lord, believing something that is true, firmly trusting in something that's true. You see, what, God, when, what happened, God was feared in the victory. He received the glory for his power, for who he is as the one true living God. There is, he is to be feared in the victory because there he also gets the glory. The children of Israel came away from the Red Sea with a greater understanding. They came away with a greater understanding, not of the journey across the floor of the sea, not a greater understanding of the enemy's vulnerability, But rather, they came away with a greater understanding of the power and the awesomeness of this God, their God, who is our God. You see, no doubt. Now listen. As we think about this story and all that took place there, and we can just imagine the the cheers, the roars, the victory, the sense of victory of what God had done for them as they're now on the other side of the Red Sea, and they see those people who used to oppress them, those people who, who had them in bondage, now they are dead on the seashore. You can just imagine the elation that they had, and I am sure that that was an awesome thing for them to experience, and that was an amazing sight to behold. But friends, listen. Nothing compares to seeing the power of God at work in a person like you and like me. When God defeats the enemy's bondage over us and brings us through the sea of forgetfulness where he washes us clean of all of our sins and he brings us safely to the state of true freedom in Christ as his children as we believe in him by faith. Nothing compares to what God does in our lives through Christ. Nothing compares. He is a God to be feared in verdicts but also in victory. And so there's two things to do. Number one, First thing to do is trust him for salvation. He is a God of of verdicts. He is to be feared. So there, he is a God who judges. But he's also a God of victory. He brings freedom. And so, friends, you're to trust him for salvation. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, trust him for salvation. Know that he loves you, that he sent his son Jesus to die for you on the cross, and he rose again bodily from the grave for you to have salvation. 
The Bible tells us that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. We're to turn from that sin and we're to turn to Jesus Christ. And we're to embrace believing that Jesus did what he said he did and what he said he would do, which is go to the cross and rise again bodily from us, that he's God's son. And we're to profess him as the Lord and Savior of our lives. So if you've never trusted Jesus, taking that step of faith, take that step of faith today to trust the Lord as your Savior. Trust him for salvation. And then secondly, trust him in every situation. Friends, no matter where you are, we need to remember that this God, the God of the Scriptures, is the God that we serve today. The God who is alive and well working at the Red Sea is the God who is alive and well working in our lives today. We can trust Him because He is faithful to guide us and faithful to guard us. And that He also expects faith whether we're standing still or whether we're moving forward. We are to trust Him in every situation. How about you today, friends? Will you trust him? Will you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? And if you do, will you trust him in every situation? Whether it's something you understand or something you don't. Maybe you've been brought to a place and you can't quite figure it out. Trust him. Trust him. Because he's faithful. And he expects faith. And he is to be feared. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you be with us now as we come to this time of invitation. Lord, as you're dealing with our hearts to make decisions of commitment to follow you and to be faithful to you, Lord, I pray that you'd work in every heart and every life. And, Lord, if there are those here who need to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, let them come in just a few moments as we begin to sing. And, Lord, let Pastor Andy or myself just pray with them, uh, Lord, to invite Jesus into their hearts and lives. But also, Father, we pray that you'd be with uh, those of us who just need to trust you in the situations we find ourselves in. Lord, whether it's something we understand or not, that whether we're standing still or you're calling us to move us forward, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to trust you in these situations, to know that you are faithful to guide us, faithful to guard us, faithful to be with us, that you're expecting us to have that faith, and that you're a God who is to be feared, that there is victory in you, but also you're a God of verdicts. So, Lord, I pray that you'd have your way in our hearts and lives. Maybe there are those here who need to join this church, as you have called them, uh, to be a part of this church family and fellowship. Or maybe there are folks, Father, who need to come to be baptized. Or maybe it's, Lord, the folks that just need to recommit, renew their life to, to Jesus or surrender to ministry, to ministry or missions. Lord, whatever it is that you're dealing with us about today, we just pray that you would have your way in our hearts, in our lives, that we'd walk away from here knowing that we've been in your presence and we have been obedient to your call upon our lives today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.